This podcast does not provide medical advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyone Dies, the podcast. I'm Marianne Matzo. And I'm Charlie Navarrete. So please relax, get yourself something good to eat and drink, put your feet up, and thank you for spending the next hour with Charlie and me. In the first half, we have our recipe of the week. In the second half, Charlie's going to talk about debt after death. Mm. And spoiler alert, you can't take it with you. And in our third half, we're going to have craft time, which is my favorite. So, Charlie, our Uh recipe this week is called Death, Death Chicken. Well, I'm not and surprised. I know you, you know, usually... it's it's like you know, I after so many years, I can imagine all those chickens are just running up against the colonel, you know, Colonel Sanders with his you know rampage of of, of, of chickens. At some point, they were going to turn against him. Well, funny you should say that oh. because you know I do have a tendency to overthink things. So I began to wonder, can you actually die from a chicken? I mean, other than like choking on it or something. And you know what? Sure enough, you can. There was a woman in Australia who was killed by a rooster who picked at her leg that punctured a varicose vein that hemorrhaged and caused her death. Can you imagine? I'm trying to. So so the hemorrhage caused the woman to collapse and later die. So uh, varicose vein is those, well, those bumpy leg, mm-hmm. those bumpy veins that, you know, like stick out on your legs, right. and especially on older women's legs. And it just happened to hit one of them. So um, she, this lady had previously been diagnosed with hypertension, type 2 diabetes, and varicose veins. Um, so it just goes to show you that even small domestic animals may be able to inflict lethal energy injuries on individuals yes but anyway i digress so um this death chicken is meant to be put in the oven before you leave for the funeral because it takes like two hours to cook and so when the funeral is over you get back to the house pop that baby out of the oven and it is ready to go now this recipe calls for cream of chicken soup of course because you know because yeah you make chicken without cream of chicken soup but you could be a real fancy pants and make it with cream of asparagus soup fancy kind of take it up yeah take take it up a notch baby so please go to our webpage for a link for the recipe and additional resources for this program we really hope you're going to follow us on facebook and instagram and rate us positively and review the podcast. And as a nonprofit, we always appreciate your donations. Yes, we do. So please go to our webpage to donate in support of our work. That is www.everyonedies.org. And it's E V E R Y, the number one, dies, D I E S dot org. So, Charlie, yes? you really can't take it with you, huh? Well, it depends what what you what you are trying to take, but uh, yes, for the most part, no. Credit and debt after death. Da da da. What you need to know. So, when a loved one dies, the last thing you want to think about is the person's finances. However, it's important to understand what happens to credit and debt after death. Everything a person owns at the time of their death including everything from money in the bank to their possessions to debts they owe, is collectively, is collectively called an estate. 
if the deceased person has debt, then the executor of the estate will go through a process called probate. The executor is the person named in the deceased person's will to handle their affairs. During the probate process, bills are paid off using the estate's assets. Due to certain provisions, some assets may not be included in the process because they don't transfer to the estate, so these won't be used to pay creditors. When a person dies with debt, their estate becomes responsible for paying it back. However, if there isn't enough money in the estate, then generally no one else is obligated to pay. Of course, there are a few exceptions. You may be responsible for the deceased's debts if you co-sign a credit card account with a deceased person. A co-signed account means the debt is also in your name. Also, if you had a joint credit card account with the person. A joint account may mean you will be responsible for repaying the debt. However, according to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, if you were simply an authorized user, you will not usually have to repay the outstanding debt. Your spouse has died and you live in a community property state. Now these states include Arizona, California, Idaho, Louisiana, Nevada, New Mexico, Texas, but wait, there's more. Washington and Wisconsin, Alaska, and Oklahoma are also considered community property states, but only if you and your spouse signed a special agreement. In these states, you may be obligated to pay your deceased spouse's debt using property you shared. Continuing, state law requires you to pay a particular debt owed by your deceased spouse. In some states, you may be responsible for paying back specific types of debt. This could include health care expenses or debts in connection with a house that you jointly owned. To get more information, visit your state. Visit your state government's website to learn more about requirements where you live. Now, what to do about debt collectors after death? Well, many things come to mind, none of them legal. So, <laughs> debt collectors may collect the deceased's spouse, executor, or administrator to discuss any debts left behind. What action can you take? Well, for starters, you can block debt collectors from contacting you. If you are the executor of an estate, you can send a letter asking the debt collector to stop contacting you. The collector can't contact you again except to confirm that they received your letter or to inform you that the creditor plans to act regarding the debt. Now, while you can block debt collector from contacting you, this will not eliminate any debts owed. If you block contact from a collector, the estate may still be responsible for the debt. So what happens to credit reports after death? When someone dies, their credit reports are not closed automatically. However, once the three nationwide credit bureaus, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion are notified someone has died, their credit reports are sealed and a death notice is placed on them. That notification can happen one of two ways from the executor of the person's estate or from the Social Security Administration. Estate executors or court-appointed designees 
however, are encouraged to contact at least one of the three nationwide credit bureaus so that the deceased's credit report can be flagged appropriately. Now, for executors, take these three steps to protect someone's credit after death. Here are some steps you can take following the death of a loved one if you are the executor of the estate or other court-appointed designee. 1. Contact the Nationwide Credit Bureau, as I mentioned before, to find out what you need to do to notify them of someone's death and get a death notice placed on their credit reports. A death notice flags a person's credit reports as deceased do not issue credit. Because if someone attempts to use a deceased person's information to apply for credit, then the notice should be displayed when the deceased person's credit report is assessed, informing the creditor the person is deceased. When one bureau adds a deceased notice to the credit report, it will notify the other two, eliminating the need for you to contact all three. Find out what documents you will need to provide the credit bureau with proof of the person's death along with proof that you are the authorized designee. The required documents may vary based on your relationship with the deceased, whether he or she is a parent or spouse, for instance, and based on the credit bureau. Learn more about required documents and contacting credit bureaus. Required information may include the person's legal age, the person's social security number, the person's date of birth and date of death, a copy of the death certificate, copies of any required legal documents, your full name, and your address, you know, to send confirmation of, note of death notice placement. If you are also requesting a copy of the person's credit report, you will need a copy of a government-issued ID, such as a driver's license. Number two. Submit the required documents to the credit bureaus. Consider making copies of everything you send and sending the documents via certified mail. See our webpage for a list and addresses. And actually, let me take back about consider making copies. No, make copies. Don't think about it. Do it. And then number three. Review the deceased person's credit reports to understand what open accounts they have with creditors and lenders. It's a good idea to request copies of credit reports from each of the three nationwide credit bureaus, since not all lenders and creditors report to all three. You may need to contact lenders and creditors to notify them the person is deceased and the accounts need to be closed, even if the account has a zero balance. Lender and creditor contact information can be found on the credit reports. You may be required to provide a copy of the person's death certificate and other legal documents. A joint account may remain open even after one of the people has died. It's a good idea to request copies of the deceased credit reports from each credit bureau. You should then review those copies and those reports to identify any open accounts. You may need to contact the creditors and lenders associated with those accounts to let them know about your loved one's death. That's a lot. It is a lot. I'm I exhausted. Can't imagine how hard that is to, you know, be grieving a death and then be dealing with all this bureaucracy. Yeah, and and you know, and you know, and as we often say here, just 
everything is about preparation. Uh, please don't wait until the last minute. Please don't wait until you know you as you know as you said, Marianne. You know people are grieving, people are not thinking clearly. Just make a list of everything you will need to do in advance, and just follow that list. And if there's anything you can take care of in advance, take care of it. But um, yeah, I mean this this will be you know available on our website. People can listen to it again, take notes, and just be prepared. So what do you got next? Be prepared. So I thought we could do crafting today. And, you know, usually at a funeral, there's a lot of flowers, and in particular, roses. And funeral roses are some of the most common flowers that we get and receive when a loved one dies. Not only do they bring those who are grieving comfort, but they also represent love and respect for the person who's died. So why not? Um, enjoy them for longer than what they are actually alive. So we can look at um, funeral rose preservation methods mm-hmm. and memento ideas. Okay. This way you c- they can last forever along with the memory of your loved one. So in general, roses represent love and reverence. However, roses can have different meanings depending on their color. Specifically, red roses represent love, respect, and courage. Pink roses represent love, grace, and appreciation. White roses represent reverence, innocence, and peace, and hope. And dark crimson roses represent grief and sorrow. So one of the things that you can do with those roses is that you could grow more roses. Um, The roses that you receive have a lifespan from somewhere between 4 to 12 days. So if you want to grow even more roses, what you can do is first dip the stem in honey and then stick the stem in a potato. Hmm. The honey will stimulate the roots and the potato will fertilize them. Then place the potato in a pot of dirt and fully cover it. Lastly, cut off the top of the rose. (coughs) Lastly, cut off the top of the rose and any extra leaves. Now, wait for the roses to grow. And, you know, I've never tried this, Charlie, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to because I'm really curious to see if they really will work. Now, you can also preserve funeral roses. And um, these rose preservation methods are perfect for making meaningful mementos with your funeral roses. However, some methods work better for certain mementos, so you have to have in mind what it is you're going to do with the flowers when you're done with them. So you can air dry them. This is an easy method to dry your roses, although it does take longer. Um, To do this, wrap the stems together with a rubber band, uh, put about three or six roses in a group, and don't let the blooms touch. Then hang them upside down for five to ten days in a warm, dry area like a closet or kitchen, and they'll dry. Now, a second method is something called silica gel, Mm S-I-L-I-C-A, silica gel. And there are several rose drying methods using silica gel. One way is to put them in a large container about maybe the size of a shoebox and fill that with silica gel. Then leave them... Um, with the roses in there for three to five days. And then after you take them out, spray them with hairspray and that'll kind of seal them. Now, another faster way is to microwave them in a container of silica gel. Just be sure to put a cup of water in the microwave to prevent burning or over drying. Mm. 
It also works best to cut the stems short. So depending on your microwave wattage and the rose petal thickness, heat them for about two minutes. And then if you need to add an additional minute, you know, kind of go slow. Now, another method, those of you who make jerky and other things, you can also dry <laughs> flowers in a food dehydrator. So if you have a food dehydrator, you can use this to dry your roses. To do this, put the roses on the dehydrator racks and make sure the blooms are not touching. Set the temperature to 95 to 100 degrees Fahrenheit and leave them in there for about 8 to 24 So hours. what happens if they um, touch? It, they get brown and ooky looking. Well, we can't have and that. And you don't no, want ooky dried okay. flowers. Okay. No. Uh, so, no. No. And, right. if you, right. and if you've been making jerky or something in your food dehydrate, I don't know if they're going to start smelling like jerky, but you'll have to write and let us know. So there's the pressed flower method. And this method works well if you're creating like a frame-pressed me um, petal memento, which I'll talk about in the next section. But to do this, press the ro rose petals between wax paper in a book for about a week. So what can you do with all these dried roses now? So you can make a, a meaningful funeral memento and always have something that reminds you of your loved one. Um, you can frame those pressed roses that we talked about and glue the rose petals onto a piece of paper that fits into your frame and then let it dry and then put it in the frame and you can display it. You can also use the pressed rose petals to decorate a memorial candle. I almost, read, I almost read it to be a memorial cannoli. I don't know if I'm hungry or I'm just thinking about cannolis. But it's not a memorial cannoli. It's a memorial candle. To do this, um, heat a spoon over a plain candle and use it to um, gently press them into the candle. Or make a bookmark by gluing the rose petals onto a bookmark-sized piece of paper. After it's dry, place it between two parchment papers and put a heavy object on it overnight and flatten it. Then place them in laminating sheets and use the laminator to make your bookmarks. Another display method is uh, dried roses shadow box. Simply arrange the dried roses in the shadow box along with photos, memorabilia, a cannoli, and other decorations and mementos. Or make a beautiful dried um, rose ornament to display. All you have to do is um, take those dried ornaments and a clear uh, dry petals and put them in a clear glass ornament that has you know, the removable top and you just shove those rose petals in there. Um, put a ribbon through the hole, and you have an ornament. Now, if you don't want to go through any of all of that, you could donate them and make somebody else really happy with those roses. Um, there are um, donation programs like Random Acts of Flowers or Power for um, Power of Flowers projects, and just make a difference in people's lives. Um, mm -hmm. I. Uh, you used to have students in the nursing home and people would bring in the funeral flowers all the time. And, you know, we would, you know, take apart the, the arrangement, you know, the funeral right. arrangement right. and put them in vases and people would have nice, fresh flowers in their rooms. So um, you can easily do that and make somebody a little bit happier. So, um, please stay tuned for future adventures of Everyone Dies. And thank you for listening. Um, I'm Marianne Matzo. And I'm Charlie Navarrete. And we look forward to talking with you soon. 
Remember, every day is a gift. This podcast does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast, such as treatments, dosages, outcomes, charts, patient profiles, advice, messages, and any other discussion are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.